Hi. Welcome to Nocturna, a horror podcast. Today, you're invited to the edge of reality to witness the horrible things that lie beyond its horizon. We'll explore a captivating tapestry of dread and cosmic terror, where the intensity of our descriptions may elicit a range of emotions, from spine-tingling thrill to disquieting unease. As we delve into the depths of these stories, we invite listeners to embrace the full spectrum of sensation that may be evoked, understanding that the chilling nature of our content may both exhilarate and unsettle, depending on individual preferences. As you embark on this immersive journey with Nocturna, prepare to surrender to the captivating tales that both stir the depths of your imagination and awaken the dormant fears within you. Episode 6 Spread The story you're about to hear is a work of fiction. Probably. My mother was a bit of a hoarder. Thankfully, it wasn't what you'd see on a TV show. I don't know if I would have ever recovered from coming across a dead cat one day, but that just meant her problem was severe enough to impact our lives without her ever feeling the need to seek out help for it. Our house was small and cramped already, which meant that every new item that showed up or lingered around made a noticeable difference. The front door opened directly into the combined living room and kitchen, and there was just one hallway leading to four bedrooms that shared a single bathroom. Growing up, my sisters and I experienced a sense of silent embarrassment because of the state of the house. We never invited friends over from school, had dinner guests, or hosted family gatherings. It's nearly impossible to prepare a meal when every surface is buried under stacks of paper and the hallway is barely wide enough to pass through. Things only got worse when my dad died. It wasn't sudden. He worked in construction in the 70s, so asbestos had long since worked its way into his lungs. Although he was lucky enough to avoid lung cancer, the wear and tear on his respiratory system was inevitable. He went painlessly enough, I think. He had a steady morphine drip for the last few weeks of his life. Why he wanted to spend his final moments in that home, I couldn't tell you except, well, we all know where the heart is. At least he was surrounded by family. The three of us had long moved out by that time. Although we wanted to provide care and support for our parents during what we knew may be the final month of our father's life, seeing the ways the hoarding had spilled into our childhood rooms caused us to share many a whispered conversation about other lodging options while we were all in town. My sister Amanda even offered to check the three of us into a motel, but we decided against it, not wanting to ruffle any feathers. You know how family can be. It took a number of months to get the funeral together, but by mid-April it was finally warm enough to be able to have a get-together at the house. Outside. A few men I remember meeting as a child spoke at the service. They were my dad's co-workers, and they had very fond things to say, but left pretty quickly once everything was over. It wasn't until after my dad was dead that I realized how little I knew about what he did for work. It was for some... conglomerate? Bancroft Century Build Group? I know it was something having to do with architecture or contracting, but it was more of a corporate desk thing in the later years. I think he met my mom there. I've never been quite sure of the story. Kind of ironic, the work that killed him brought him a wife and three kids. Sometimes life's funny that way, I guess. It's hard to know how to feel after that sort of thing. 
once the visible expressions of sadness have come to rest. Amanda took charge and ordered some just awful Chinese food from Dad's favorite place as a tribute. It was horribly salty, so I just started moving my chopsticks around, watching the noodles make spirals and circles and knots for most of the night. I cleared some of the junk from in front of the fireplace while Emily, my youngest sister, who is a bit of a neat freak, did a quick vacuum. The four of us, including my mom, sat on the carpet eating from mismatched plates. We swapped stories and tried to laugh. Then before we knew it, it was past ten, so emotionally and physically exhausted, we said our goodnights. I think I slept two or three hours before it woke me. There was a shuffling sound four or five swishing noises before the thud of something heavy. At first I thought it was the dishwasher running. Judging by the state of the house, the last person to use it before that night was Emily months before, but I listened a little bit longer and realized that didn't make sense. It was far too irregular to be the rhythm of some moving mechanical part. Then I thought maybe the fridge was getting ready to die. I mean, it was older than me after all. The thought of whatever food was lying in wait to become a biohazard eventually forced me out of bed to go look. I wasn't sure what time it was. I've never worn a watch and I'd made a habit of leaving my phone charging across the room. I opened the door to my childhood bedroom and the sound immediately came through with more clarity. A few repeating swishes and then a single textured crunch of metal or wood. It was definitely coming from the kitchen or living room, but... I was at a loss as to what might be making the sound, no longer believing the old fridge to be the culprit. I couldn't imagine there was a stranger in the house. Something tells me I would have woken up to the sound of a break-in. Besides, it was small-town knowledge that there was nothing in that house worth stealing. Still, my heart picked up its pace. Part of me felt silly being so cautious, but quietly as I could, I made my way out into the hallway. The portion of the living room I could see into was lit by the exposed bulb of a small desktop lamp I recognized as one I had implored my mother to get rid of years ago. It was made to look like some geometric sculpture. Imagine the Eiffel Tower, but ugly. Sat beside it was its shade, which had been ripped and bent for years. The harsh light sent shadows of broken electronics and phone books extending across the filthy floor towards me. As I made it to the end of the hallway, back pressed to the wall, I saw my mother. She was picking up and setting down the piles of clutter in different spots in the room. Her feet shuffled across the dirty carpet and then she would let whatever stack of junk she carried collapse onto the floor. I thought about calling out to her and asking what she was doing, but something held me back. I wasn't sure if whatever she was doing was therapeutic for her. I think the way she lived secretly troubled her greatly, and I didn't want to interrupt what might be an intimate part of her dealing with it. The problem is, I don't think she was dealing with anything. I'm not sure how long I watched her. Sometimes the junk she picked up would be moved all the way across the room, and sometimes it was only placed a foot away. It seemed anything she could lift was being rearranged. After a few minutes, she began to stack the piles high, some of them bending and tilting into angles I thought would have had them crashing down at any second. But they didn't. They just sort of hung there. 
at least until she decided that the angle or position was unsatisfactory and then they were moved again. I eventually backed away, not sure how to feel. I went back into my room, but the swishing of her steps and the thuds of her redecorating continued until the sky outside gave its first hints of light. I heard her walk past my room and the click of her door closing at the end of the hall. I can't remember if I slept more after that. If I did, it was one of those half-sleeps where unconsciousness tickles and licks at your mind, but you never really feel rested. I recall becoming aware of familiar voices in the house, so I decided to get up. This must have been around nine or so. Amanda had run out and gotten the family coffee, and they were all standing in the kitchen. My mother looked normal, surprisingly well-rested, if anything. I asked how she'd slept, and she told me fine. I think one look at me notified the women in my family that I hadn't fared as well in the sleep department as my mother claimed she did. I wasn't sure why she was lying to me. She must have been up all night. I don't think she could have been sleepwalking. It seemed much too physical and rigorous for that. I thought about saying something to one of my sisters, but Amanda would have turned it into some confrontation as she always does, and Emily would have told Amanda, so see above. I ultimately chose to keep the details of the night to myself. I awoke the following night sometime past midnight. Once again, the shuffling and slamming was coming through the wall my room shared with the living room. I was concerned now. Staying up two nights in a row wasn't healthy, so I decided to say something. I got out of bed and got ready to walk down the hallway. I didn't want it to seem like I had been watching, so I remember thinking it would be clever to act like I was getting up for a glass of water and just happened to see what was going on. I was a little bit nervous about confronting her with something she did when she thought she was alone, but I took a deep breath and started walking down the hall. I was only going to watch for a few seconds, but I noticed a detail that had escaped me the previous night. She appeared to be whispering something to herself, but I couldn't make it out. It seemed like one word, repeated. There was an S. One syllable. Spread, I think it was. I was just about to say something to her, but I stopped once she shifted and I could see her face. What I saw was barely my mother. The eyes were wide with a sickly yellow-green hue to them. Her skin was sallow and wet and looked like it was stretched too tightly over her face. There were places where her skull looked protruded or concave, and shadows fell on her figure at odd, sharp angles. Her mouth was open wide and something resembling a smile that made it look like she had too many teeth, like her jaw stretched wider and further back than it should have. I barely had time to register the fear before the thing that looked like my mother made eye contact with me. I was overtaken by something instinctual that told me to run. I took four long strides and heard the shuffling of her feet and chase behind me, but I reached my door and shut it quickly. I heard the steps slow and stop on the other side of the thin wood, and I could hear in its rattling breath that word repeated over and over. Spread. I sat against the door and stayed still as the sound of her echoed in my head. Each spread caused a shudder until it abruptly stopped, maybe twenty seconds later. The feet shuffled off, and I heard the soft click of my mother's door down the hallway. 
sat there until daybreak. I heard everyone get up this time. Amanda first, followed by my mother. I walked out right behind her, lump in my throat and vision blurring in anxiety. I was not going to leave Amanda alone with her. The second she entered the kitchen, I stepped in right behind her and asked her what the hell was going on the night before. They both looked at me bewildered. She asked what I was talking about. I said, what do you mean, what am I talking about? You were in the living room all night making noise and moving things around. My mother was truly, utterly confused. I took a long, hard look at her. Her eyes were hers again, and what's more, she had no traits that portrayed any exhaustion at all. I don't know how that was possible for a woman in her late 60s that had now been up the better part of two nights. Somehow, the impossibility of it helped me relax a little bit, and I declined to share any more information with them. Amanda suggested that I had only been dreaming. That simultaneously felt insulting and like the only logical explanation, even though deep down I knew it not to be true. I spent a long time watching my mother that day. After Emily was up and ready, the four of us spent the day together. We took a walk through the woods behind the house. The crunching of the leaves under every one of my mother's steps sent a crawling sensation down my neck and infected my entire body, but her face no longer pointed and caved in as it had. I kept a close eye on her, looking for any sort of confirmation of my experience. There were none to be found. I was both reluctant and willing to leave that night, so I suppose it was all the same that my flight left after dinner. My mother drove us to the airport in her beaten down station wagon, and I watched her eyes in the rearview mirror the whole time, looking for a tinge of color to appear for even a second. Things seemed entirely normal. Amanda was staying another night and I asked her to make sure mom was sleeping enough and she said she would. I hugged and kissed my mother for the last time at the airport. She'd be dead in six months, collapsed in a supermarket. They blamed it on a blood infection. According to the doctors, her feet had been rubbed raw on the bottoms. Why she never mentioned it is anyone's guess but returning to that house upon her death. I was horrified at the sight of red tracks all throughout the living room. Between impossibly balanced stacks of trash, there were trails of dried blood making an odd, tessellating, angular pattern. Smeared. Splotched. Spread. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nocturna. If you enjoyed what you heard, don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss the next episode. You can keep up with the show on social media at Nocturna Podcast. You can also head to nocturnapodcast.com. And if you want to support even more, take a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That feedback is one of the best ways to help the show grow. And most importantly, tell a friend. Just make sure they can handle it. Thanks again. Oh, and... Stay safe. You never know what's out there. <laughs>